Tune in to Risky Business. Every Thursday, you can celebrate another day of living. It's a good news business talk show talking about the exponential world, hosting fabulous guests from all sorts of industries and business, talking about trends, shifts, changes, and how you can not only survive but thrive in this exponential world with my co-host, Michelle Raymond. Tune in for some inspiration, some exponential leadership, and some interesting thought-provoking conversations. And just celebrate another day of living and of love. Every Thursday evening, tune in to Risky Business. A good news show. Wonderful sound there of Cheap Trick, Radio Lover, and I certainly am a lover of radio. The program is Risky Business, and I'm your host, Brian Hutting. With me, of course, Michelle Raymond, my co-host. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm very good. Fantastic. And we have a fabulous guest in the studio in the form of Natalie Beveridge. Natalie, nice to have you on air. Hi, Brian. Hi, Michelle. It's nice to see you again. It's been some time. It has been a long time. Indeed, sure. Mm. And when I last saw you, you were Natalie Martin, if I remember correctly. Yes, and then I ended up marrying um, Cameron. Indeed. Who you ended up placing into the software <laughs> game. And I uh, met him there, and who would have thought 10 years later we'd still be together? Fantastic. Well done. Well, thank you. Yes. Well I do done. think I need to have the well done. <laughs> 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 I think marriage is a wonderful institution, so I'm a I'm a big proponent of it. 
Yeah, it's been wonderful. We've had very happy moments and we've had very tough moments, but I think you grow together as people and you, you know, as individuals, you learn a lot of things in your life's journey. But I think it's the tough times that really define you. And I think that's partly what we're going to be discussing today is how some of those tough times have actually defined us and our lives going forward. I often chatting to people refer to the triangle as a fantastic sort of uh, symbol for a really cohesive marriage. If you imagine uh, you and Cameron are at the base of the triangle and at the base of the triangle are all the things in life that are important to you. Mm -hmm. And if the apex of the triangle is the single highest point of purpose in your lives, and if you share that, as you move closer towards it over time, you draw closer and closer together. Mm. And um, it's a lovely way of of thinking of it that way. You know, um, marriages and and relationships are all about uh, friendship and companionship as well as romance and all those good things. Yeah, and it's important not to lose sight of each other. No. Because life can become quite hectic, especially when you take different paths. Um, And when you don't have a common area to bond over. I used to be in corporate with Cameron, as you well know. Um, You know, those conversations now move into having a family and raising a family. And, you know, sometimes you get stuck in the mundane. So you've got to find ways to keep it interesting and to keep each other inspired and growing. How long have you been out of corporate? Um, I left uh, SAP in 2015, just before I had my first little boy, Connor. And I thought I would, you know, give motherhood a, a full bash and check how it, you know, pans out. Turned out I absolutely loved it. Right. Um, and then I sort of dabbled going back into corporate and went to a small entrepreneurial software firm in 2017. And unbeknownst to me, I found out I was pregnant with my second little boy, uh, Karen. And I left there in the October and then became a full-time mother again um, after Karen was born. And um, I must say it was hard when I now had an older little toddler and a newborn, considering yeah. should I go back into the corporate space and the sales-dominated space, um, but I wouldn't change it for the world, being at home with my boys. We've had some very interesting experiences, and last year was one of the toughest years we would have ever have gone through. Yeah. Um, do you mind sharing about that? Uh... No, no problem. So um, my little boy, Karen, was born on the 23rd of November 2017. Um, so my oldest son, Connor, nicknamed him from the minute he was born as Tiny Baby. Um, and he was so excited, and it was just such a wonderful time in our lives. Um, our family was complete, and we just, he was the most content and happy little guy. Um, never gave us a moment's trouble. And then, um, towards the middle half of 2018, he started struggling with persistent and recurrent, um, infections, chest infections, mm-hmm. um, struggling with sleeping at night. And as a second time mom, I wasn't getting completely, um, paranoid, thinking, oh my word, you know, what am I going to do? But I was taking him to and from, the pediatrician quite a bit to try and understand what was going on. Is it teething? Is it cramping? Is it colic? You know, all of the things that you run through. Um, In that time as well, we noticed that on his right calf, he had developed a small bump. It looked like a mozzie bite initially, and then it kept on growing at quite a rapid rate. And that was in the June that we decided to get an ultrasound done on it to see what it was. Mm -hmm. And we were assured it's nothing um, nefarious. Uh, went to two different specialists after my pediatrician had assured us it wasn't anything to worry about. Um, the two specialists also indicated that it wasn't something to be concerned about. And I kept on asking the question, are you sure this isn't cancer? Wow. I've got a terrible feeling. I've got a gut feeling. This is cancer. I don't know why. I'm not sleeping. Let's check for cancer. And they were like, 
100% sure that that's not cancer. And then, yeah, on the 31st of July, my little boy um, was really struggling to breathe. He had gone yellow. He was very swollen. He was full of a rash all over his body. And the blood results revealed that his white cell count was through the roof. And we were given the devastating news on the 1st of August that he had AML leukemia. And he had just turned eight months old. So it was a massive blow. And I think the reason why it was such a massive blow is a mother's instinct usually kicks in. And I looked and I went to multiple specialists and I kept on asking, are you sure this isn't cancer? And it was it was overlooked. Um, wow. And it was really tough. Do you think had they picked it up at that time, the, res- the outcome would have been any different? Look, childhood cancer is a very tough one because um, when you look at survival rates, five-year survival rates and that kind of thing, um, it's not necessarily based on an infant. It's based on a, a group of children. AML leukemia has a very um, bad survival rate, I think between 10 and 15% will survive. There's also eight different subtypes of this particular type of leukemia. So it's considered a very aggressive one. And if you look at a a baby and a toddler, the amount of growing that they do from the time they're born to the time they, you know, a year or five years old, those cells are constantly reproducing at a rapid rate, which means that the cancer ends up becoming very aggressive very quickly. And maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. We could have still lost him. However, I don't think we would have ended up feeling helpless and not feeling like we were doing enough to try and alleviate his pain and his suffering because he must have been in pain and he must have been suffering over those two, three months that I was going from doctor to doctor to try and determine what was wrong with him. And it didn't seem like there was anything majorly wrong. He was still eating. He was still happy. He was meeting his milestones. So, you know, doctors look at that and go, oh, well, it's just a viral infection. And I felt like I wasn't heard and I wasn't valued as a mother when I had a gut feel. I woke up. It was the 16th of June. I looked at my boys playing on the grass in the sun and I had the most awful feeling that this thing, this growth on his leg was cancer. Mm. So, you know, after and that was an indication of it, was it? Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so actually I was being told it's like a birthmark. And I said, but what kind of birthmark grows at this kind of rate? Oh. By the time it was diagnosed, this uh, mark on his leg that started like a mozzie bite was probably the size of a five rand coin. And because he was a baby and he wasn't weight bearing, so he wasn't actually in the crawling phase. He wasn't standing yet. With leukemias, you get bone pain. And generally the bone pain you'll get because you're standing. Um, And because of the fact that he wasn't weight-bearing, it was obviously exhibiting itself in a different way. And this growth on the leg was actually called leukemia cutis. So, yeah, it was a massive blow. I mean, I could never explain to you the devastation of receiving such a diagnosis, especially when I think the week before his diagnosis, I was at the PED about three times. And I kept on getting told it's it's a virus. Don't worry about it. It will clear. And what did they say afterwards? I mean... Do they do they ever, with respect, apologize and say, "Wow, well, you know"? I think it's a tough one because they don't want to implicate themselves. Yeah. Um, they obviously say they're so sorry that this is happening to us, and you know they couldn't have foreseen it. Um, my issue with it all along was if I had asked. Are you sure this isn't a cancer? And I kept on saying, let's do a blood test to check what virus or bacteria or something is causing these recurrent infections. And I kept on getting told that why cause a trauma? He's eating, he's meeting his milestones, he's happy. I was then sort of made to feel like I was being far too pushy to try and get a diagnosis that potentially couldn't have been there. And a blood test can give you a world of information, especially in a child that can't talk and is a baby. An older kid may have said, Mommy, my leg's sore, or I've got a sore throat. And they would have constantly said it. My little guy was just starting to have really bad nighttime 
um, sleep routines, waking up crying a lot, um, was feeding, but he wasn't happy because he was exhausted from the night. And that was because your bone marrow and your largest points in your bone, like your, your spine and your femur, that was obviously having bone pain. And when you as a baby being put in a cot and you're trying to turn around, he kept on waking because he had bone pain, but I didn't know that. So yeah, it was a terrible experience. You do feel as a mother, you know, you would do anything for your children. You'll go to the ends of the earth for them to make them happy and healthy. But I think I felt sort of pushed aside and overlooked until we actually got the diagnosis and it was devastating. Oh. Um, that, I mean, I, I can't imagine the only closeness i have to that is my is my cousin losing her son and me having a little boy and now pregnant with another one um, ooh. um and i'm particularly thinking of the women who are going through that now the mothers and the fathers who are going through that with their own children um there's a before it's the fighting it and the and the before struggle and, and trying to do the right thing and then there's the after what can you tell them about the after as in the fighting to keep your child alive and then the after, as in losing them. Yes. Okay. So it, as much as last year, 2018, was the most devastating year, it was also one of the most incredible. And the reason why I say that is as much as we did everything in our power to try and keep Kieran alive, um, so he was diagnosed on the 31st or 1st of August and passed away six weeks later, um, it completely affects the family father and structure. And you don't survive this unless you have a very strong support structure and system around you. We also chose to make my son's um, diagnosis public on social media because the ripple effect of how many people are affected just by your son being ill. You've got people lifting your oldest son to and from school. You've got people bringing food to your house. You've got people um, asking if anything could be done to alleviate our pain and our suffering. And with this particular type of cancer, we had to stay in the hospital for weeks at a time. So the impact was I not only was losing my nine-month-old, I was losing my four-year-old well, at the time he was three. So I wasn't tucking him into bed. I wasn't reading my three-year-old stories, things which were normal things that you do as a mother. I wasn't able to do it. So I felt like I was failing on both fronts. I couldn't save my baby and I couldn't be there for my three-year-old who was missing his brother and I'm missing his mother. For Cameron, working in a, a corporate environment, people around him realized that he was not able to conduct his day-to-day -day business and realize that, you know, like he's going to be fine. He was so often at the hospital with us because things were moving so rapidly yeah. that, um, you know, we really were so blessed and grateful for the amount of people who came out in their droves to just support us and love us. And the frustration I had in that period was I was stuck in a hospital with Kieran, who was having chemo from the day he got diagnosed. Um, I couldn't come out and see my, my three-year-old, so Cameron and I would have to try and do shifts at the hospital. But then people would say, what can I do? What? How can I help? And I actually started getting angry because if they could help and find me a cure or help get my son right, I would have taken that in a heartbeat, but I knew that was impossible. So then I started saying, go and donate blood um, at your nearest SANBS um, donor center and some people started going and I was starting to get pictures on Facebook and WhatsApp with people with a needle in their arms saying they're donating in honor of of Kieran and um, then I decided that on the weekend of the 8th and 9th of September let's have a blood drive within Danefern and that blood drive was well publicized we had on a few radio channels and publicized it to the Danefern community and that weekend was absolutely amazing um, we had 254 people who arrived probably more but 254 people donated blood that weekend 
weekend. Um, it looked like the elections. We had like a mm. tent and we had people queuing for hours just to donate blood. And they all wanted to do- donate just for my baby, but it wasn't just for me. It's for all the other families that are going through the same kind of heartache. And, you know, waiting 12 hours for platelets to arrive when your son is about to bleed out is the most horrific moment in a parent's life. Now you've got your child been diagnosed with leukemia and now you have to wait 12 hours for the blood bank to get you platelets because they have no stock. So I thought something had to be done. And so when these people were saying to me and they didn't know me from a bar of soap, how can I help? I said, go donate blood. It's not going to cost you anything, but it's just your time and your life. And that weekend, um, it was a really great vibe at the clubhouse. I joined for a little bit. In conjunction with that, we uh, brought in Cupcakes of Hope who is a charity that supports families affected by childhood cancer. They raise funds to assist them with day-to-day expenses, travel expenses to from hospitals, and just groceries and medical bills. And we decided to um, sell cupcakes at this event, and we were able to raise quite a sizable amount of money there. And we had 254 units of blood donated. Um, that same weekend happened to be the weekend that Karen passed away, wow. which was very hard on Cameron and I. Um, to realize that the struggle and the fight was over. Um, and I think it's, it's been, like I said, as hard and as devastating as it, as it has been. We have had people that have walked up to us, hugged us in shopping centers who we don't know, people donating their little girls' ponytails that wanted their hair cut to become wigs for, you know, little kids with cancer, you know, and sending them off to cancer to make wigs. Um, it's just been the most incredible journey where we've, become friends with people that we didn't even know and they've all got a common interest of just making some small difference in the lives of other people. You tune to Risky Business. We have the privilege of talking to Natalie Beveridge uh, about her life, about her perspectives, about the incredible from so many perspectives journey of losing a loved one, a little child to cancer and what all that means on so many levels, uh, not only in the situation, but moving forward and through it. So stay tuned. We've got lots more talk and uh, time for a music break. The beautiful sound of Carlos Santana on guitar, the wonderful India Ari on vocals, and uh, the quintessential Yo-Yo Ma, greatest cellist in the world at present. The beautiful, beautiful song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And Risky Business, I'm your host, Brian Hutting. My guest, Natalie Beveridge. My co-host, Michelle Raymond.
unmistakable sound of Carlos Santana doing such a beautiful rendition of the Beatles While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yo-Yo Ma on cello and India Ari on vocals. Program Risky Business. Your host, Brian Hutting, our guest in the studio, Natalie Beveridge and Michelle Raymond, co-host. Song up next, track by the absolutely quintessential underground group Led Zeppelin. Uh, they were heralded at the 2012 Kennedy Honours. Beautiful track off Led Zeppelin 2 called Thank You. And it's great to have an attitude of gratitude and to celebrate the magnificence of who we are, what we have, and what life means. to you it will be dark for you to me I'm the only one I'm happy happiness no more to say happiness on the the sun refused to shine Truly beautiful words and song by Led Zeppelin Jimmy Page on guitar, Robert Plant 
on vocals, John Bonham on drums, and John Michael Jones on bass. What an incredible song, what an incredible band. You tuned to Risky Business. We have the privilege of having Natalie Beveridge in the studio with us. And we're talking about very important things about life, so don't go away. And I forgot to wish you happy birthday. <laughs> well, Michelle. Thank you. Happy birthday. It does seem a bit, uh, sort of bittersweet in this conversation. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> may you have many, many more. And uh, may your, your beautiful unborn be a wonderful blessing and light in your life. No doubt. Thank Indeed. You. Natalie, it's amazing to, you know, so often we have this view in our minds that we have to live a three score and ten life in order for it to have meaning and to leave legacy and do what the rest of it, you know. And uh, As with most tapestries and the tapestry of life, some threads are longer than others, some are shorter, some are golden, some aren't. And it's not about the length of life, but it's the impact that we leave behind directly and indirectly through who we are. And most certainly, Tiny left um, a massive footprint, touched many lives, yeah, so possibly more than what some people who do live three score and ten ever mm. do. So we nicknamed him Tiny the Mighty while he was in hospital um, because of his baby or well, his older brother calling him Tiny all the time. And then I realized that life isn't made up of the big moments. Life is actually made up of a myriad of tiny daily miracles that we all take for granted. And that builds you up to those big moments. But some people will never get to see the first day at school, um, them graduating, them going off to university. And I think you sort of have this like this ill-conceived idea that we're going to get to do all of those things and watch our children do all of those things and what I realized in this journey is it's things like bath time which often you know when you've had a long day you just want to get it over and done with as quickly as possible but those tiny moments are sometimes all you may get um you know when Karen was in hospital and his blood results looked better we would celebrate that because it was a tiny win and we were hoping that it would build to something great the sad part is is that he passed away after nine months but through having that first blood drive on the 8th and 9th of September and continuing having blood drives um, if one pint of blood can save up to three lives, the weekend he passed away and we got 254 units, that effectively equates to just over 700 lives saved. And we've created a legacy for Kieran, even though he was too young to create it himself. And now when people hear the term Tiny the Mighty, it doesn't have to be massive acts of generosity and charity. It can just be something really small, something tiny that touches someone's life. So whether you go donate blood and it's your time and your love to go and potentially save a mom who is giving birth and may need the blood in order to you know, live and see her children, you know, grow up because often in childbirth there's quite a lot of blood loss. Uh, whether it's people who know anyone who's been affected by cancer, cancer patients generally are one of the biggest recipients of blood and platelets. Um, you know, and accidents and traumas can happen in an instant. You never know when it could happen to you. So my whole um, mission at this point in time and in my life is to entrench this tiny the mighty mindset where you can do anything provided you do it with the right intention and with love. And it doesn't have to be something financial. Um, we were also doing things like working with Cupcakes of Hope. And what's really exciting with that whole um, initiative is we're bringing children into the kitchen 
with their mother to help bake a batch of cupcakes so kids can get involved and they can become the evangelists and they can actually go forward knowing that there are families out there who are going through a traumatic time, one of their children are sick and through the sale of those cupcakes you then make a donation to the charity. So when we have a blood drive in Danefern, my son gets super excited because he knows there's a blood drive, he thinks it's a party for his tiny baby um, and then he helps us decorate batches and batches of cupcakes. Sure. So it's really special to bring him into remembering his little brother. And he's influencing his friends to do the same. And he's only four years old. I love that. You know, you, you hear about Chuck. I did, um, I worked with Chuck a little bit in high school and oh, that was, that was something to behold. These children and they're amazing kids. They're full of life and laughing and they live in the moment. Mm. Um, but you know, you, I, I suppose I speak for myself. You feel so overwhelmed by the magnanimity of, what goes into cancer research and what goes into treatments that you just feel, where do I even begin? Mm. How do you start? Exactly. Yeah. And so I love what you're doing, that it's just small, simple acts, like you say, of giving blood, of buying a cupcake. And I know the cupcakes of hope because they often come to my son's school. And I think the story behind it is fantastic because anyone can get involved regardless of how you are financially. Mm. And also there's a lot of... Um, Cupcake Angels uh, that work for Cupcakes of Hope. So, I mean, it's a non-profit and it's all voluntary. But some of these people that are baking are grandparents that have had families immigrate and they've been left behind in South Africa because they couldn't follow. Or they've lost their own children to cancer. And every granny, if ever you go to granny's house, generally there's something baked when you arrive. And now they're pulling out the eggs and the flour and the, the sugar and they're baking cupcakes. And then they arrive at our events and fundraising events. The last big one was on the 27th of September at 88 malls across the country where we raised over 2 million rand. Wow. Yeah. And you, you don't know who your cupcake angels are until they arrive with a batch of cupcakes. And what was cool to pair that with an SANBS blood drive was some people are needle phobic, they're scared, they can't donate. In your instance, Michelle, you're pregnant, so you wouldn't be able to donate blood, but you could probably bake and you could break, bake with your, your son um, and he, get him involved and then bring a batch of cupcakes. And we then on sell those. It's not really selling. It's just asking for a small donation. And then that goes into the charity. A lot of the families, um, so Cupcakes of Hope support over 88 families on a monthly basis. And a lot of the costs relate to transport, just to and from the hospital where the child requires care. It relates to just being able to pay for groceries to feed the other children that are at home. Um, it's to pay for some medical expenses which aren't necessarily covered either via government or via private medical aid. So these things are daily challenges that families who have a child who's affected with cancer go through. And it can be a very desolate and dark place. Um, so companies like Cupcakes of Hope, Rainbows and Smiles is another, are doing really fantastic work in trying to not only visit these sick children in hospital and give them little care hampers that while they're having chemo, they can build Lego and they can, you know, color in and do some wonderful things and still feel like they have purpose, but also supporting the family structure. Wow. So I'm having a little esoteric moment. Mm. Um, I'm a, I'm a super conscious of the whole principle of paradox and and how it plays out in our lives. And what we're talking of gives the opportunity for people to understand and to engage time in a different way. So we get so busy through time and racing forward and racing forward to this event or to this issue or to that issue that we so often forget to, to celebrate. And in this time called life, we only have a past and a future. There is no present. There's the now 
which is a moving through time. So as I say the word present, as I say present is in the future, when I say zen, sent, present in the past, mm-hmm. we're moving through time. So eternity has the present. That's the only thing that has the present. But it's in moments like this and in celebrating those little moments, those mm-hmm. tiny moments, mm-hmm. that you, in a weird sort of way you're able to actually engage with eternity and in an eternal moment because the impact of that and that celebration of that little thing carries right through with you. It doesn't leave you. So I've coined the phrases on Facebook outside of hashtag Tiny the Mighty um, the phrases I've coined is um, love never dies and love makes you brave. Because if you had asked me two years ago to do a radio interview, I probably would have needed 20 rescue remedies and I probably would have needed a tequila <laughs> and I would have been completely like frazzled. And which is strange because I've been in corporate my whole life and I talk. But now you're talking on something which is an emotive real life story that rips you completely raw and makes you vulnerable. And what I realize in the whole thing of love makes you brave is in this experience, the more vulnerable I've been, the more people have embraced me, the more they've loved me, the more that they've shared with me their own journeys. And they now feel like they have a human connection. And in this plane, while we're trying to move into we've got to achieve this by this date you become closed off to everyone else and you're no longer vulnerable you put up your defenses so when you know i've done one or two radio interviews and one or two tv you know intros about cupcakes of hope and their various fundraising events um i've realized that i'm no longer scared because i think i've already been vulnerable i've been already ripped raw there's nothing else to protect there's nothing else to hide um but love has made me brave to overcome these things um and the fact that love never dies if you look at a baby who might be in an icu who received life-saving red blood cells or platelets because he was in a terrible way that little baby has been granted the gift of life from some selfless donor and he may go on to become a doctor himself or go and become somebody who goes and creates something amazing and finds the cure for AIDS or becomes a Sia Colisi. So you have no idea how far your impact can actually reach. And I'm just trying to get that message out there that you inspire people through tiny acts of love and kindness that I'm staying page on Facebook. I mean, that's grown phenomenally. And I mean, I'm really good friends with Brent, Linda Q from Good Things Guy. And, you know, all you need is a spark. You need the catalyst. And then your um, environment will often lend you the platform. So thank you very much for having me in your studio because your platform is amazing to try and get people to do similar things. And it doesn't have to be huge amounts of money being spent to make a massive difference. Absolutely. And, in fact, you have a blood drive coming up on this 1st and 2nd of February. Yeah, that's right. It will be at the Danefin Golf Estate. Um, we host it uh, at the clubhouse between 9 and 3 um, in the, from 9 o'clock until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Bring the kids. It's a lovely um, day out. Beautiful clubhouse facilities. Have some lunch. We'll also have some cupcakes where you can make a donation to the Cupcake of Hope Foundation. And just feel like you're doing some good. I think we're starting 2020. Let's find some small, tiny ways that you can make a positive impact in this year. Because you never know how many trips around the sun you're going to get. Absolutely so. I had a grade naught um, melanoma removed about five, six years ago. So it was a grade naught. And there's, there's no peripheral malignancy and there's been no 
full on. But am I still prevented from giving blood? I'm not an expert on that. Um, okay. But there is yeah. um, there is a list on the SANBS website where you can go and have a look at any existing conditions or if you're on medication, what um, allows you to donate or, um, you know, it will um, defer you. So um, some things like blood cancer, they generally don't want you to donate because no. you would have had to have altered the actual whole no. bone marrow, so you wouldn't be able to donate. But um, if you aren't on treatment and it's been a period of time that's passed, I think there is some cancers that you may have had and you've overcome, you are then able to donate. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't have any treatments. It was literally oh, okay. a little, little, something little cut out. on my back that they cut it out. Yeah. And it I, think, I think you should just have a quick look on the SANBS.org yeah. website. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of people tend to ask, you know, can they donate? Uh, because they were told once upon a time if they had hepatitis, they're not allowed to donate. I mean, I had hepatitis when I was eight, and I was the worst person that if ever I saw a blood drive happening in a mall, they go, oh, would you like to donate? I'd be like, no, 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 had hepatitis, and I run away. I had hepatitis like 30 years ago, (laughs) you know. But now that I've had a personal story and a journey, and you realize the critical shortage that the SANBS has, I mean, they run 24 hours a day. They have 2,500 staff members. From the collection to the logistics uh, uh, to get it back to the labs to testing it to getting it to the patient in need um, and you know to save lives is a massive undertaking and I've now realized that it should be something that should be socially cool to do um, and get into the habit of donating every two months um, or at various blood drives and you know just start making a difference. I had an absolute fear of needles as a child I mean, bad. And uh, I decided I was going to give blood. So at the time, I didn't have a car, and I hitchhiked into Heal Brothers, is where the blood clinic was. Yeah. And I stood outside for about an hour, and I went home. I was too scared to go inside. And about four or five years after that, I went through a whole I, – I turned 30. Turning 30 was my midlife crisis because I couldn't believe that I was turning 30. I mean, it was just like this is crazy – 17 was just the other day and you know what have I done with my life and yes so comparatively I might have done reasonably well but what have I done in comparison to it and I went on this journey of self-discovery and self-determination and goal setting and sorting my world out sort of self-initiated and uh, the following six months it must have, I, I felt as if I achieved more in the next six months than in the whole of my life and one of the things was I've got to confront all my fears um, so I'd done a lot of that already by taking up skydiving to get rid of fear of heights and I did scuba diving to get rid of my fear of water and closed spaces and so the next sort of little milestone was to go and give blood so I went off to go and give blood and when they (laughs) sat down on the on the on the bench couch whatever and they took my blood pressure it was 220 (laughs) over 120 and they were they they wanted to hospitalize and they deferred you I said no 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 no." I said listen I'm just really scared just let's do this thing you know but filled up the bottle really quickly yeah. And it was a wonderful experience because I don't have a fear of needles anymore. I think there's a big fear of uh, needles, and I don't know why. Um, I think I've you know, been to the dentist. I've had procedures done in hospitals. Yeah, I've had a drip in my arm. So although there is the fear, I think it's just the fact that it's the unknown. And you yeah. see this bag filling up with your blood. I think it's like a mental thing. Yeah. Um, but I've had a lot of people who've come and they've said, oh, I've got such a fear of needles. It's the first time they do it. And I go, oh, it wasn't bad at all. You know, so look, I do suppose you get some people that maybe struggle with low blood pressure or they feel a bit woozy afterwards. 
Um, but, you know, they do have nurses there. They do check you. And, you know, I was quite sad to find out I was deferred at one of the last blood drives because I had been on antibiotics the week before. So they do wow. have a strict criteria. Like if, you've, if you recently microbladed your eyebrows or had a tattoo, you're deferred for six months. Um, if you've been on antibiotics or if you've been on any form of um, anti-inflammatories and that they sort of have to check, you know, if you are still able to donate. So... You get a few people that come to the drive and then they're deferred and then they feel quite disappointed because they've built themselves up. You know, yeah. fear of needles. Now you get told you can't do it. But, um, you know, the, the trick is come back again. And I think in the Danefern Gulf Estate, it's a lovely environment, um, you know, beautiful views there. You can go and have lunch. Your kids can run around and play in the play area. You've donated blood. It's not like going into a mall where you've got your trolley with screaming toddlers and now you must go and try and spend 20 minutes on a bed you know then my blood pressure would also be through the roof you tuned to risky business and uh, you should always be tuning in to the risky business is a good news business talk show and we're talking to natalie beveridge about her life her world and her courage and that of cameron her husband and the people around her in living through the absolute trauma of losing a little loved one to cancer and how you can turn that into such a positive thing in moving forward. And, and I think that's the risk that we all face talking about risky business is not confronting our fears and not uh, being willing to step up to the occasion and embrace the light that comes in and through and with these situations, no matter how seemingly dark it is. You know, in the darkest of rooms, uh, they cannot quench the light of one candle. So it's all about finding a way to make a, a deeper, more entrenched footprint of love in the world as you go through it. Up next, song originally put together by the band Cream, Jack Bruce, Ginger Baker and Eric Clapton. Here performed once again by Carlos Santana with Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20 on lead vocals. Sunshine of your love.
Thomas, Carlos Santana and company. Sunshine of your love. Tune to Risky Business in the studio with us. Natalie Beveridge and my co-host Michelle Raymond. I'm your host Brian Hutting. I cannot believe that we've got just a couple of minutes left. We needed at least another hour. Moving forward, Nats, I mean, there's so much we haven't even talked about and so many things that we want to do, so you're going to have to come back on there again. Oh, I hope to. Um, I, I have grand plans for Tiny the Mighty. I'd yeah. like to create a foundation which would then be registered, registered as an NPO um, because currently whatever fundraising I've done it go, it's going into Cupcakes of Hope or Rainbows and Smiles of Chop. Um, but I'd like to create a foundation where we can do tiny acts of love and kindness and give someone the platform in order to take something tiny and make it mighty, whether it be a street vendor on the side of the road that needs a little bit of a help out with something. Um, some money sitting in that fund could at least alleviate some of their stresses and strains. Um, you know, helping cancer charities. Um, and I think there's a big need for helping adults who are facing massive cancer challenges. A uh, personal story, my brother has recently been very ill in hospital. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma two years ago. And he's now recently um, lost his job because he's been really ill. Um, and, you know, you think to yourself, we've got these organizations that try and support families whose children have cancer. But there doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot for people like you and I who may have a family. And now you're stuck in the same kind of position. So I'm hoping that over time, Tiny the Mighty will grow into its own uh, charity. And we can then almost disseminate those funds into various charities where those funds will go to the correct recipients. Um, and then just continue creating awareness for blood drives and for tiny acts of love and kindness, baking cupcakes or making a donation to Rainbows and Smiles in terms of toys or anything that they can give to their, their children in the hospitals. That is truly awesome and wonderful. And anything we and the station can do to promote your endeavors, we would be more than happy to do so. Happy to get you back on air frequently, even if it's time to, to, to pop in and... Uh, Give you an update. Give us an update. That would be wonderful. And, um, yeah, I just wish you every uh, success and joy and love and good things in the time ahead for you, Cameron and, and Connor. Shame. Thank you. And um, thank you so much. It's so lovely to see you and so nice to have you on the show. So I'll end off with the saying that I saw this morning and I posted it to Facebook. The most authentic thing about us is our capacity to create, to overcome, endure, transform and love, but most of all, be greater than our own suffering. And I thought that That's was lovely. Beautiful. That's from Ben Ocri makes me think of a beautiful quote from a poet, Scottish poet Samuel Smiles lived in the 19th century and he said, hope is the companion of power and the mother of success. For whoso hopes has within him the gift of miracles. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Michelle, anything potting out? Two words, um, perspective and kindness for the same reason that there are people going through harder things than you are. And as you can hear in the background, the Hollies Graham Nash on vocals Beautiful track here and heavy is my brother a particular song that goes out there To all of you who have the pain of having to See a loved one pass on And um, I'm your host Signing off Reminding you that if you're not with the ones you love Love the ones you're with and Take time to show and tell the ones you love How much you do Take some time to celebrate your life And the magic of it And the magnificence of it and just be found guilty of many random acts of kindness. Have a great week.
my brother So on we go His welfare is my concern No burden is he to bear Tune in to Risky Business. Every Thursday, you can celebrate another day of living. It's a good news business talk show talking about the exponential world, hosting fabulous guests from all sorts of industries and business, talking about trends, shifts, changes, and how you can not only survive but thrive in this exponential world with my co-host, Michelle Raymond. Tune in for some inspiration, some exponential leadership, and some interesting thought-provoking conversations. And just celebrate another day of living 
and of love. And every Thursday evening, tune in to Risky Business. A good news show. That's what you say.